0: There's something inside of all of us that wants to have authority. In my own experience, I think this is probably seen most clearly when we are children. Now, as I've seen my own children grow and mature, there have been periods of time where they've struggled to understand who has authority in the family. This is not unique to my family. We're all familiar with the idea of the terrible twos an age where children are beginning to express, learning to express themselves, they're knowing more clearly the things they like and don't like, and then they struggle with doing the things they don't like. They want to be the authority even though they aren't the authority. While I don't remember being two or three years old, I have the pleasure of having some lifelong family friends here with us today. And my friend Jack likes to tell the story of when I was two or three, when we first came to the church in California where I grew up, that I liked to run up to him and kick him in the shins. See, I'm pretty sure that while I don't remember it, I thought I was in charge, and that was the way I showed it. I do remember being around 10, and at our home in California, we had an attic space above the garage, and we, we kept a lot of things up there. And it was always my job to put things away and it had gotten to be a mess and so on a Saturday my dad told me to go up there and clean it. And at some point later he came to check on me and I I guess that I quipped to him that I couldn't wait till I had children of my own so I would have servants like he had. I would have rather been doing anything than up there cleaning that attic. And I was struggling with the fact that I was not the authority in my own life I wanted to be in charge well this attitude is most evident in children it's not like it goes away it's sort of we learn to suppress it now as believers I think with the Holy Spirit we can learn to s- subdue it as we grow in sanctification we we learn how to submit to God's authority and, and therefore it makes it easier to submit to others But even for unbelievers, to be able to function in society, to hold down a job, to have relationships, you have to learn to to suppress that selfish, sinful nature that seeks to always be in charge, to be the authority. Today we're going to look at Matthew 21, 23-27, and we're going to see Jesus go into the temple and be questioned by the chief priests and elders, questioned as to his authority. And from that question, we're going to see the depravity of man. And we'll also see the glory of God in Jesus. Let's begin in verse 23. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 says, When he entered the temple, The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? So again, we are continuing to look at the the Passion Week, the week of Christ's life that leads up to the crucifixion. He entered Jerusalem triumphantly proceeded directly to the temple to cleanse it. In our passage last week, Jesus was returning to Jerusalem from Bethany, where he cursed the barren fig tree. And now he has returned to Jerusalem, and he has again returned to the temple. And this time it is to teach. And as he is teaching, the chief priests and elders come up, and they question him look at exactly who this is. A lot through Matthew, when we have seen Jesus' questions, it mentions the scribes and the Pharisees. Here, Matthew doesn't mention what party they're with. It's just that they're the chief priests and elders. The chief priests were appointed officials. The elders were members of influential families. Both of these groups were part of the Sanhedrin who was the ruling council in Jerusalem. They passed judgment and did other things. They were the the elite, the top of the top. But as we look at this, we understand that they had power in the city. They had prestige in the city. But the temple, this is what they controlled. This was their place. And as we looked at a couple weeks ago when Jesus cleansed the temple, that if these money changers and people who were selling the animals there were making an outrageous profit, then it was most likely these men who were benefiting from that. They were taking a cut of that to allow it to happen. And now Jesus has come and he has driven them out. And the next day he is back and he is back to teach. And so as overseers of the temple, they've had this form of livelihood destroyed the way they did things has been run off. And now this man, Jesus, has come back and he is teaching on their turf. As overseers, they would have had every right to question someone who was seeking to change things in the temple or seeking to teach in the temple. They had been given the authority to oversee it. And that's what they do. They come to Jesus they by what authority and who has given you this authority I thought it was interesting and there are several ways that authority or power is expressed in the Greek one of those is dunamis which carries the idea of power or authority from one within oneself that you possess great power that you do things out of power that is from your own ability 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power. And it's that idea that God's not just enabling us with that. He's given it to us. It's ours. We have that power to do what God wants us to do. But in contrast, the word they're using here is exousia, which is an appointed power. I've heard it described this way. A police officer would have no more power than any of the rest of us if he didn't have the badge. But with that badge, he has appointed power. And if a police officer stood in front of your car and said, stop, you would stop. Because while your car has plenty of dunamis to run him over, you know he has appointed power. And if you did that, the whole weight of the law would come down on you. Because he has appointed power as an officer of the law. And so he's given respect. You listen to him. You obey when he tells you to pull over. And so that's what they wanted to know. If you're doing these things, we've been given power. We've been appointed. We have, I've mentioned it before, they viewed people who were wealthy must be blessed by God. They viewed their wealth and their influence as God must be for us because we have these things and so we've got this what do you have where is this power that you are wielding coming from who does this Jesus guy think he is why would he think he could disrupt everything I started talking off today about the selfishness and resistance to authority that can be seen in children As I see their attitude here, as a child, did you ever say to a friend or a sibling, you're not the boss of me? Or who died and made you king? It seems those feelings never go away. As you become adults, there are generally two types of people, the type A or the type B. The type A, this is very strong in. They have to be in charge to run things. But even in type B that are perfectly willing to let people maybe run certain things they we grasp control in our lives on certain areas and oftentimes those areas are sin our selfish sinful nature wants to be in charge and it wants to be right we want to have authority and when we got it when you've got a hold of that you never want to let it go These chief priests and elders, they are the top dogs. They win every argument. They have every privilege you could ever imagine. And then along comes Jesus. Now I said that on a a typical basis, they would have had every right to question someone coming into the temple and beginning to teach or disrupting the way they do things. Jesus will say in Matthew 23, that they have taken the seat of Moses, that they have taken that seat of power, and that was their job. They should have been protecting the temple, even though they weren't. But how absurd is it to see them question Jesus? Turn with me to John 1. I'm going to read 1 through 3, but you can keep your finger there we'll be going back in a little bit I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it I, I love the uniqueness of John's introduction of who Jesus is John 1 1-3 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being How absurd that that is who they are questioning the authority of. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is God. The creator of the universe. Nothing that you and I see came into being without Jesus Christ. And what makes it absurd is that he has proved that's who he is. His life... His birth, they fulfilled prophecy. And he has been proving it for three years who he is. He has healed the lame and the sick. He's given sights of the blind. He's fed thousands with just a few loaves and fish. And he did that twice. He's controlled nature. Who but God could calm the sea with his voice? And he has raised the dead. Who but God could do that? And the thing is that while it doesn't explicitly say it, they had to have known these things. They had to have heard these stories. As we saw when Jesus was in Galilee, everywhere he went, a huge crowd followed because the stories of what he was doing spread far and wide. And now in the recent chapters as he's been journeying towards Jerusalem, the huge crowd followed him everywhere he went because they had heard these stories. They knew what Jesus had done. I don't know if you remember back in Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, Jesus gets into an argument with the scribes and Pharisees over his disciples not washing their hands. But at the very beginning of that chapter in 15.1, it says that those Pharisees came from Jerusalem to question him. They traveled all the way there to question him because the word had spread even to Jerusalem so as these chief priests and elders come to Jesus and they question him on his authority they're doing it with full knowledge of the works he has done and these men were not dumb they knew their scriptures they should have known the prophecies that he was being fulfilled. he was fulfilling so what it comes down to in the absurdity of their questioning is this is not an honest question. This is not them coming up to Jesus and saying, I've heard you've done these amazing things and now you're in the temple and you're teaching here. Where Where are you getting your authority from to do these things, Jesus? That's not it. They have made up their mind about him. They are not going to believe a thing he says, and so they come up questioning him. They want him to say he's getting his power from God. They want him to say that he is God, and so that they can use that against him. When I read this, I can think of times in my life when I knew I was right and someone questioned me. I don't always have the best response. It's easy to lord that over someone. I'm right, you're wrong. What would my response have been if I was Jesus? Probably not a good one. How would you dare question me? I have all the power in the universe, and you would question me? But Jesus, as the perfect Lamb of God, did not respond the way I would have. Continue in verse 24. Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. I oh, thought this is interesting. You see this throughout Jesus' ministry that he will be asked a question and he in turns asked a question back. And it turns out this was a common form of rabbinic debate. Which would just have absolutely driven me crazy. You know, I asked first. <laughs> you answer my question first. This is the way they did it. And so they asked Jesus a question, and he says, You want to know where my authority comes from? You answer me this question, and I will tell you where my authority comes from. The first part of verse 25 he says, The baptism of John was from what source? Was it from heaven, or was it from man? Why does Jesus direct them to John the Baptist? His, his baptism or really his ministry. What is it about that, that Jesus would pose that question to them? Know the answer to that. What was John's message to the nation of Israel? What was his baptism all about? You know, let's go back to John chapter one, verses six through eight. It says, "There came a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light." And the verses twenty-two to twenty-three. John now being questioned then they said to him who are you so that we may give an answer to those who sent us what do you say about yourself he said I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the way of the Lord as Isaiah the prophet said John's baptism John's ministry was a ministry of repentance of trying to turn the people's attention back to God so that they would be ready when their Messiah came. God sent John to prepare the nation for the arrival of Jesus. And as we just saw, he too was questioned, and he told them he was not the Messiah, but he made it clear that the Messiah was coming. to Matthew, we see the response of the chief priests and elders. It says, and they began reasoning among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. I'm trying to imagine their faces when Jesus asked them this man, he's got us in a real pickle. There's no way that they could say that John was sent from God because they had not believed John. They would show themselves to be the self-serving hypocrites they were because they had not repented. They had not prepared themselves for the Messiah. And most importantly, they didn't believe what John had to say about Jesus Christ. One last time, go back to John chapter 1, verses 29 to 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. John testified that Jesus was the Messiah. He not only testified that Jesus was the Messiah, he testified that God showed him that Jesus was the Messiah. He made it clear. But the religious leaders did not believe him. And being the self-serving hypocrites they were, there's no way they could say that it came from men They could not risk upsetting the people because the people thought John was a prophet. Sound a lot like our politicians today. You can't go this way, you can't go that way. Try to offend the least amount of people possible. So Jesus, who they had sought to corner with this question, has cornered them with the question of his own. They have nowhere to go. Verse 27. In answering Jesus, they said, we do not know. He also said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You ever heard the saying that it's it's better to stay silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt? Well, they had to open their mouth. They had to respond to Jesus, but evidently they preferred to look incompetent than to paint themselves into a corner that they couldn't get out of. They didn't want to reveal their true character. These men were not dumb. Like I said, they knew their scriptures. They had every evidence that anyone would ever need to bow down and worship Jesus as their Messiah. But they don't. And this is what really gets me. They don't do it because it wouldn't have been good for them. It would threaten their power and their livelihood. It would most likely eliminate their power and who they were. They would lose everything. So think about that. They would rather kill the promised Messiah, the Son of God, then risk losing the status quo. It's almost hard to fathom that kind of selfishness, but that's what lies within each one of us. I've heard it said that unbelief does not cause sin, sin causes unbelief. And this is a perfect example. This is a willful, denial of clear facts on the part of these religious leaders. They are the living embodiment of the fruitless tree that we looked at last week. And I think this is what Matthew's getting at here, that he has presented Jesus' lineage, his miraculous birth, his life, his ministry, And he has left no doubt that Jesus is the Messiah. And he's made it clear that these same facts were well known throughout the people. And yet Jesus is being rejected, willfully and knowingly rejected by the religious leaders. So I have two things to take away from this. I mentioned it before, but any good place to start with setting a passage is what can we learn about man and what can we learn about God? What can we learn about man? You know, it's easy to look around us and feel like the world is worse than it has ever been. I've yet to hit 40, but in my lifetime, it certainly seems like the world is a lot, lot worse shaped now than it was 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Like that snowball that's rolling downhill is getting bigger and it's picking up steam and we are headed the wrong direction. It's like there's just open rebellion against God everywhere you look. Rebellion against him as a creator? We'd rather say we came from monkeys than admit that we have a a God who designed us perfectly. We reject him as creator. We reject him as holy because if he is holy, then there's an expectation for us. And we reject him as a judge because no one can judge me. Rebellion against any authority that he rightly has over us as our creator. I was in high school. There was a song I heard a lot on the radio called Minority. Interestingly enough, 20-some years ago, evidently, to be against the religious right evidently puts you in the minority because these are the part of the lyrics to that song. He says, I want to be the minority. I don't need your authority. Down with the moral majority because I want to be the minority. Doesn't that just scream what the world is saying today? I don't want any authority in my life it's what I want that matters in my rebellion I can sin any way I want and there is no consequence because no one has authority over me this world is shaking its fist in sin at God in light of all this I am praying and we should all be praying Jesus come soon But while we're here, how do we deal with this? When I look at these religious leaders, I take heart in knowing that we're not the first people to experience a world like this. In fact, it started with Adam and Eve wanting to be like God. They wanted to have their eyes open so they could have that authority, that autonomy in their lives to wouldn't be accountable to him. They would be like him. And it's continued throughout mankind's history to the point where these men looked Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator of the universe, in the face, and they rejected him. And so I take heart that while we may be facing things on a different scale or in a different way and other believers have that there is nothing new about the sin that surrounds us. And forever, however long God leaves us here, He's going to continue to work His will. And the amazing blessing is that He's going to continue to do it through us. And so take heart. We're not facing something new, and God is still in charge. Secondly, the authority of Jesus. Jesus didn't even need to answer this question he had shown his authority to the nation for three years and we can read about it and we can know that it's true and we can know that he had authority and going beyond that in just a few short days he would lay down his life for the entire world And then three days later, proving once and for all the authority he had, he would rise from the dead. We worship a powerful, powerful God. A God with authority. The sustainer of the universe. His credentials are unmatched. And that is who we serve. Turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18. Think of taking heart in who Jesus was and is and will continue to be forever. We read the Great Commission, and it should be a challenge to each of us, but it should be an encouragement, too. Listen to Jesus' words. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and lo I am with you always even to the end of the age all power in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus he has the power and like we talked about the exousia the appointing he has appointed us as his church to carry out his work that's amazing and that should be a comfort that he is with us no matter what's going on in the world around us that we worship a god whose power is unrivaled so again as we tarry on this earth take hope that we are ransomed by an all-powerful god and that we worship an all-powerful god and that we have the opportunity to serve an all-powerful god Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that you inspired the Gospels and that we can read about Jesus' life and see these interactions and see what led to his rejection and crucifixion and the way that you worked out all things to bring us salvation, Lord. I thank you that Jesus was faithful in his mission and that we can enjoy a relationship with you through faith in him bless this church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.